Hey, how are you? It's Brendo, and what glorious news it is, the Smashing Pumpkins coming back to Australia on their World is a Vampire Festival in April with Jane's Addiction, Amel and the Sniffers, Red Hook, Battlesnake, plenty more. There is a wrestling component as well. That's right, wrestling involved. To learn more about the festival and to be quite honest, take a deep dive into the band's career because they're one of my favourite artists of all time. Billy Corgan, certainly one of my favourite songwriters of all time. And he joins me now. How are you, my man? I'm good. Autumn, the brand new record. Congratulations on it. It's um, ambitious as it is flawlessly executed, much like your other concept records. Uh, 33 songs. What inspired you to uh, write such a large body of work? Well, you know, I'd wanted to do it for years and... uh you know, I, I received various uh, indications from my band about whether or not they wanted to do so much work. You know, I mean, it is a lot of work. I Looking back now, I can't believe I I even started the thing. But once we hit the pandemic, um, we are locked down. I just thought I've got to do something. I'm going to go mm. crazy here. So the idea of doing something really uh, long winded and ambitious seemed right to me because I, I told my friends early on, uh you know, and I know uh, where you are was one of the most locked down places. You know, once we got into it, I knew it was going to be a while, mm. um, you know, despite what uh, the U.S. government kept telling us. I was yeah. like, oh, this is going to take a while. So uh, <laughs> I just read the tea leaves and I thought, well, let's just keep myself busy with work and it really help just kept me mentally focused on something positive. And it's quite an eclectic record, uh, too. It's sort of got that more, you know, modern synthetic pumpkin sound, but also pays homage as well to that guitar driven um, pumpkin sound. Was that... Well, I guess it was intentional because I guess you had the time, right? If it was done during the pandemic, you really had time to think and go through your catalog and be yeah. inspired. Um, you know, uh, there's been a long standing debate, uh, probably 15 years or so in the in the Pumpkins fan community about, you know, let's call it to guitar or not to guitar. <laughs> and uh, and one of my one of my arguments has been in, you know, a lot of these I've made privately, but some I've made publicly. Um, when we look at modern music, um, the guitar has really taken a different place in, in modern music. And and I understand people from uh, my generation wanting to hear familiar sounds and music. But for the most part, you, you don't really see a lot of guitar, especially big guitar, on the pop charts. And there's not a lot of crossover music that's guitar. And the mm. Pumpkins always experimented in other things. Despite people's memories, I mean, more than half of our music was not, you know, loud guitar driven. Mm. So for me to spend a lot of energy on trying to find new territory to cover for the pumpkins uh, is I'm very comfortable with it. But there's always this kind of nascent thing of like, why guy, why can't you guys go back to doing what I remember you doing? The Autumn uh, Project as a whole sort of afforded the opportunity to take a balanced approach on that without having to feel like I was having to choose one thing over the other. Mm. Um, and it's nice because the, the reaction to the guitar side of the album, which is a lot of music, um, has been really positive. And, and the, you know, the first single has been a big success, particularly in America. Um, but it's hard sometimes for people to understand why we do things the way we do. Because even if you look back in the 90s, we didn't do what we were supposed to do then. So mm. why people expect us to do that uh, at this point, you know, 30 plus years later is sort of strange to us. But yeah. we understand it. But um, it's kind of weird. It's like, Keep, people keep asking you to put on your old clothes and 
you know, uh, yeah. I was going to say comb your hair the way you used to comb your hair, but in my case, there's no, there's no uh, hair to comb. In my case too. <laughs> I lost it early as well. Um, See, this, this little boy I'm sitting next to, he's got my, he's look got at my that. former locks. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. The curly dish cut right here. Must be nice. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I've always found it. Uh, it's, it's weird to me too, because it's always been explorative. Uh, I've found, you know, the pumpkins music. So I don't know where this came from. Maybe it's because... Well, there's been quite a uh, resurgence, I, I feel, of sort of shoegaze music. Um, and I guess maybe it harks back to that and sort of wanting the shoegaze elements to to be reincorporated. But I, I don't feel like they ever left, right? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I just think it's 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 hard to explain to people who don't understand the way your band works mm. internally um, why you don't want to do it the way they think you should do it based on their memory, not on reality. Yeah. Uh, and Autumn's a perfect example of that, like, uh, I was talking to my social media person the other day and uh, because we just released act two of the of the three acts. So mm -hmm. now there's 22 songs available on streaming services of the 33. And um, and I, and she said, you know, it's been very positive. And she said, you know, when it comes to Gen Z, they really like a lot of the different elements, particularly the modern elements of the record. But mm -hmm. the, the Gen X, the Gen Xers still keep complaining about why isn't there more guitar and why isn't Jimmy Chamberlain pounding away during every song. Yeah. But what's funny about the, the autumn record is, is if you just said, Hey, look, I only want uh, pumpkins guitar driven music. There's a whole album in the 33 songs of guitar driven music. So yeah. my psychology during the making of the record was, well, if they want that, then they can go back and just carve out their own record and just listen to that record. Cause if you just listen to that record, just the guitar stuff, it's, it's actually a cool record that way too. So, um, anyway, it's all a bit lost on me at this point because we're still here, you know, we're still making music, we're yeah. still touring at a very high level. Um, and you know, I think it's hard to explain to people sometimes that, you know, there's almost never been a band that I can ever think of that's had an additional peak moment doing the same thing that they did before. Mm. I can't, I, if you can name one, you, you tell me, you know what I mean? I mean, unless it's a band like ACDC who always kind of did one thing, but they were great at that one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But as far as a band that, say, had different types of uh, aspects to their music and then they went back to some particular period of their music and had a, another big period, I, I can't I can't rem I can't remember it from any band. So yeah. for me, it's always just about pushing forward. Absolutely. And speaking of Australian music and speaking of uh, our country in general, very excited to have you here in April with the World is a Vampire Tour. Uh, what are audiences going to see from the Smashing Pumpkins they haven't before? I can think of one uh, that that springs to mind, and that's wrestling in between in between the yeah. sets. Well, the good news, too, is uh, for people that haven't seen us a while is um, James E. has come back in the last few years. How uh, is it's that? It's been five it, years it, it now. It seems so harmonious now. It's it's so lovely as like a, as an ardent, long-term fan to, to see great harmony within the band. Well, you know, he and I didn't talk for a good 16 years, and then we, you know, we made up privately, and that went on for a few years before he ever came back and joined us on stage. Mm. And um, I think the good part is I think all of us having children has really helped us realize that what we created with the band was very unique and very special. So we're we're cool with leaving that part alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we don't need to we don't need need to tinker with the if it works, don't don't try to fix it. Um, so I think it'd be really cool for a lot of fans uh, who may have saw the band in the last few years when we were able to come down to see us, the three uh, OG members back together because. There is something that James brings to the table that only James can bring to the table. It's a sort of a kind of psychedelic shoegazy kind of aspect yeah. that I think really does lend itself. And of course, Jeff, who's been in the band for 15 years, is still playing guitar. So 
everybody that's seen the band the last few years um i mean i you know i've got friends that i've known from 30 years seen the band 40 50 times so like this is the best the band's ever sounded yeah um so i could definitely say that you know you're going to see us at our literal best as far as our ability to present our music in a way that's very familiar if you if you know the songs off the records mm. which is not given the layering and all the guitar work on the records in particular to be able to recreate that live, I think really lends itself to a cooler concert experience than get us just getting up there and bashing away. Absolutely. And you've got some great Aussie supports too: Red Hook, uh, Battlesnake in there as well. Amel and the Sniffers. Um, how's Australian music played a part in shaping you as a musician? If at all, I know you're a, a big midnight oil fan. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, um, there was this weird debate in the eighties, um, where it was kind of like, will Australia's music ever mean anything to the world? I would read articles about that. Um, And I loved In Excess in particular. Like I saw In Excess around uh, 82, 83, and I later got to know the band a little bit, Michael, uh, which was a great thrill. But um, I I just see Midnight Oil when they came over and would play places like the Metro in Chicago, a thousand people. You know, literally they rocked so hard that the the roof was falling on (laughs) uh, Peter's, Peter's head during the show. Um, I just think, you know, when I now now that Australian music has taken its place in the world and it's not this debate that I used to read about what I think of when I think of Australian music is it's like you guys like your you like your rock straight up the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, there's something about the great Australian bands, um, even in excess. There's something about sort of a primitive rhythm that's always present in, in the great Australian bands. And so that's what I think of. I, I think there's tremendous respect now in the in the global music community for what Australia's brought to the table, particularly in rock and roll. And as I mentioned before, a part of this World is a Vampire Festival, there's a wrestling component. Tell me about that. We're going to have some NWA wrestlers come down and face some great uh, Australian talent every day at the festival. So that's the great thing about having my own festival here is we get to present my my other love and passion, which is the National Wrestling Alliance. So that's it. Where did that very quickly? Where did that affinity begin? Uh, because you've always been very pro wrestling. You love it. You know, I w- I loved it as a kid. Then when I was a goth in my teenager years, I thought, oh, to heck with this. And somehow it came back into my life in my late twenties, and I ended up making friends with a lot of people in the business. And I just like like the mob thing. I got sucked in. I was never able to get out. So now I own a wrestling company, and and we literally ran a live event yesterday. Uh, you know tens of thousands of people watching all over the world live from uh you know wherever the heck we were yesterday mm. knoxville knoxville tennessee that's it well I, I can't wait to see you can't wait to see jane's addiction i saw you and perry farrell on uh the howard stern show and it yeah must be, it must be great just sort of touring around with one of your one of your great mates well one quick story is you know the third gig that we ever played with jimmy chamberlain we opened for jane's addiction the week nothing shocking came out so wow. i've literally known the band since 1988 Wow. Uh, and and Perry somewhat personally since about 1991. Yeah. So our histories are deep and, you know, our families have dined together and there's a great, wonderful history there between the two two bands. We just did a very successful U.S. tour. And so the fact that James will be down there, I mean, still in prime form and with Eric back in the band, Dave's had some health struggles. And so I'm not sure if he's he's coming back, but... Um, but the band sounds fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to that set too. I must thank you as well because in conjunction with Autumn, uh, you've put out a wonderful podcast called 33. Quite a, a great insight into you know the new stuff on, on Autumn and, and the classic tracks as well. And I really loved uh, the episode with Jimmy Chamberlain, your drummer, and he was um, talking about Machina. 
um, and that housing some of his favourite uh, Pumpkins moments. I, I'd probably say it's my favourite Pumpkins album as well, Machina. I was wondering if there's, you know, an epoch in your tenure as a band that, that you favour or you've got a soft spot for. No, because I mean, because I wrote most of the stuff. I, I I know it sounds strange, but it's like you 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 go through this really intense period of writing and and recording, and then when when it's all done, and then you play it live, it's like you just want to move on and go on to the next chapter. So mm. for me, it's been this weird thing of doing it, almost growing to resent it, get it out of my way. Let me get on to the next thing, and then fifteen twenty years later, I'm able to make peace with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I forget the. I forget the birthing trauma of trying to bring these albums <laughs> before, um, you know, particularly some of the behind the scenes shenanigans. And then you just get down to whether or not the music uh, endures. And so um, I don't know. I, 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 you know, for me, probably personally, the, the adore machine period is the hardest period of my musical life because really with Jimmy, oh. Le- with Jimmy leaving the band in yeah. 96 and then the three of us soldiered on James Darcy and I, and then Darcy left the band not long after Jimmy came back in 1999 when we were making Machina. There were a lot of personal problems going on at the time. You know, the, it's like to me, it's just a really confusing mess of like people coming, people going, mm. um, fans debating about whether or not the band should continue. Um, so the great thing about Adore and Machina is they really bear the scars of those periods. Yeah. But I think I think until the Machina uh, uh, box set comes out, which I I have finished and it's been sitting there for over a year and a half because of um, vinyl shortages and stuff like that, because it's a it's a really exhaustive box set. I think there's 80 tracks on the Machina box set, mm. and I've reconstituted recon- recon- the the Machina one and Machina two into a single album of about 50 songs. Oh, unreal! Which again, it's, it's just so insane. I, I shake my head even hearing it come out of my mouth. <laughs> Um, but it was written as this massive concept record, kind of about the band breaking up and me losing my mind. Yeah, uh, which I don't think I ever got it back. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. Machine, I think, if, if for fans who don't know the record and it's sort of gained stature over time, it's got a kind of a raw, primitive thing that's really interesting. It's yeah. like you hear you hear what the band's been through over the pe- previous ten years, and it adds a certain kind of darkness to the record that's mm. sort of beautiful and it's sort of like you know the bomb's about to go off and and yeah it's not it's not quite there yet sorry my son is now snoring on my lap so if you can hear oh, that he's, i apologize he's sleeping that, that's that, nice that, that, that <laughs> well you're i think your your sonorous voice put him yeah, yeah. rock him gently to <laughs> one sleep. of the great interviews and, uh, uh, if only it worked for your child <laughs> no i just he started snoring and i was like oh this is not very professional oh no that's okay no i'm, I'm happy it's it's nice actually that you can do this. I think that's what the the pandemic did, right? Like back in the you know before or pre pandemic, you you wouldn't have called me on your iPhone. We wouldn't have been doing this. We wouldn't have been having a chat like this. You wouldn't have been talking with your son. And now it's like it's sort of normalized yeah. it, and it's so nice to be so personable again. Yeah, I I, I do prefer. Um, I mean, being a podcaster now, I do prefer like let's call it the the space to be a little bit more nuanced in conversation. Yeah. You know, growing up in in nineties on the radio. You know, it was everything was like two minutes before the commercial break. And yeah. You better hurry up and get your plug in. And, you know, so, what? you know, tell me your craziest tour story. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, yes, I won't be asking that. Don't you worry. I do want to ask uh, about Zeitgeist because you did mention that in the uh, in the podcast as well. And for me to give you context. So I was 10 when you guys broke up the first time. So I, I missed, you know, the first sort of era of, of pumpkins. So. Zeitgeist for me is like, is my gish, right? So that's when I was seven. Uh, yeah. I was 17. That's my, you know, pumpkins are back. Um, and now it's disappeared <laughs> digitally. But uh, listening to you 
uh, talk about it, you know, it was interesting to hear you say that its absence is just as important as its creation and, and you know, ubiquity, because it, it was unfairly critically panned back then. And, and now everyone seems to can't get enough of it. <laughs> well, I've been through that a few times, you know, and um, as, a, as a student of art, I've paid a lot of attention to whether it's an author or a, a filmmaker that, you know, they would make or do something that people would go at the time, like, you know, what the heck are they doing? They've lost their mind. Mm. And oftentimes that ends up being some of the most important things that that artist does. Um, until you actually go through it, it's hard to explain. Um, because when I, you know, between 1991 and 1996, I mean, the band had a tremendous amount of success. Obviously, we're still playing uh, a lot of those songs. And it was a wonderful time. But music shifted, internet culture started kind of becoming what it is now in the, in the late 90s. And we were faced with a lot of challenges internally and publicly that I think were sort of unusual. Mm. Um, and I'm proud that we made musical choices that had to do with sort of expressing what we were going through rather than trying to hold on to something that now in hindsight wasn't even worth holding on to. And yeah. I'm not saying... And people misinterpret that sometimes as if to say it's a rejection of like, let's call it the grunge movement or stuff like that. It's not at all. I mean, first of all, just look at the damage, you know, the death and destruction in the Gen X generation alone. I mean, obviously a lot of music artists, but we also knew a lot of people who died personally. That was a very strange period. And then mm. you, you see the weaponization of like what now is clickbait culture and people writing strange things that you don't know from anonymous accounts. Like we went through all that you know, together when we were still in our late twenties, early thirties. And I think it's important that we, we, we engendered a musical reaction that endures because it was honest, even in our own weird, wacky way of presenting things, it was honest. And, um, I think that's, what's important. And I think now that we've lived with pop music overload for over 20 years now, it wasn't cyclical when pop music sort of squatted on all of music in the late nineties, it was never going to go away. Yeah. I mean, we see that now, uh, if you look at the social and I, I say this respectfully, if you look at the social media accounts of some of the biggest pop stars, I mean, they absolutely dwarf what an alternative band can do in this world mm. because fed by so many other sources that go beyond, um, you know, just whether or not you can get your song played on the radio. So alternative artists in particular really face an uphill battle, always have, and never more so than now. Um, and so I'm proud that we we sort of have, have a certain integrity in this space because we made decisions which, which were not necessarily commercial or non-commercial. They were just honest for who we were. Yeah. And the bands that I always loved and respected, whether it was The Smiths or The Cure or you know, Led Zeppelin, they seem to kind of be wholly onto themselves. And I think that's ultimately what most pure music fans are looking for. They respect those artists who, even if they don't like everything they do, they respect that they went on a journey mm. and you can jump in and jump out of that journey, whether or not you care, but it doesn't say anything about the, who the artist is. If you don't like a record that they made, that seems so strange to me. Well, it's in the category isn't it like you're an alternative band offering an alternative so it's strange or counterintuitive for, for someone to go uh do the other stuff again well we we never could have been you know if you remember and and i don't know how old you are but you know in the in the late 80s they didn't have a name for what they now call alternative yeah for a while they called it modern new way they tried post <laughs> new way yeah. postmodern, modern they eventually settled on alternative right yeah okay so the Pumpkins undoubtedly, along with a lot of other great artists, built what is now the alternative genre. Mm. 
but the, unfortunately the word doesn't really mean alternative anymore. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. all you got to do is jump on TikTok or Instagram reels to see all these crazy subgenres of subgenres of music now That's where it, yeah. I don't even know what they are, but that is alternative. Like alternative is not alternative in the, in the true sense of the word anymore. It's a, it's a business model that seems to encompass mm. certain types of rap, certain types of, uh, guitar you know shoegaze or what you know what i mean they they all kind of comfortably fit in in a, in a way that you would you know classify as loosely as kind of rock and roll ish yeah um and and maybe a little less commercial ish but it's still a big business and um so it's always funny when the you know the 25 year old bearded writer from brooklyn has to try to take me to task over my alternative credibility yeah. You know, I was like, I, one time I said to one of these guys, I was like, did I not ride around in a van long enough? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I only rode around in a van for three and a half years. Was that not long enough? Like, there was the, is there some other number I was supposed to hit? That's the thing. So, look, I, I plead with you. If, if Zeitgeist can uh, be re-released digitally, you've made your point. <laughs> Get it back in the world. The future embrace for that matter as well. Your, your solo stuff. Mina Loy is one of, one of my proper favorite songs. I love that song. Oh, I can't you, find yeah. it anywhere. Yeah, well, I, t I took some things down and I noticed <laughs> it's complicated because I, I own everything from 2001 and I control everything from 2000 and before. Yeah. Um, but no, the 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 uh, the the Zeitgeist reissue is. Uh, yeah, it's complicated. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. That's just it's all, me. It's all com it's all coming. You know that's just I mean? me pleading to you just one on one. I know there's uh, there's always yeah. there's a business involved as well. And before I let you go, I was really interested in this. And of course, you know, today gets spun a lot. Uh, still these days, uh, we play it um, ad nauseum here at Triple M. And I was really interested to hear, you know, I don't know why I never delved into the backstory of it, but listening to you on the podcast as well, you sort of revealed that, you know, the, the substance and context of it really belies that shimmery tone. Um, and I don't know if our audience would be familiar with the story either. So if you don't mind sharing that with us. You're talking about this the story behind today? Yes. Well, um, the quick story is, you know, we put out Gish in 1991 and it was hugely successful. At the time, it was the largest selling independent album of all time, which mm. is pretty crazy. Um, and so, um, but as we were touring and, and having that success, here comes Nirvana and here comes Pearl Jam. And they had these massive moments with major labels. Um, we, we, ha we were technically tied to a major label at the time and they wanted to re-release Gish on the major label but I didn't feel it was the right record for that. Yeah. So, okay. So I've set myself up that I have to make this record, which became Siamese dream, the album, but I was under tremendous pressure to suddenly write a pop record when I was not a pop writer. Mm. And that combined with my personal demons and whatever else was going on at the time, I found myself in a really long period of, of, you know, suicidal kind of thinking, or I think the word is ideation where you start almost kind of uh, romanticizing the idea of, of, of suicide, which yeah. is, you know, anybody, anybody who's been there, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult period. So I, there's nothing joking about what I'm saying. It's, yeah. It was a serious period anyway. So I got to the point in my life where I, I thought about suicide so many times and it romanticized it to the point where I, I got sick of hearing me think about it and talk about it. Um, uh, and again, I'm not joking, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a serious thing. So finally one day I said to myself, okay, either tomorrow I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, be done with it or I'm going to move on and get on with my life. Yeah. And literally that day that I decided that I was going to carry on with my life, some kind of dam broke within me. And within, you know, the next couple of days I wrote uh, the songs disarm and today. 
in essence, I let my true voice finally speak. I stopped trying to be somebody I wasn't, wish I was, I don't know, taller, shorter, louder, yeah. had a less funny voice or something. I just let myself be me, which, as you know, <laughs> is not always an easy thing. No, it's hard. Um, well, I think it's hard for anybody. And and again, I, I was I was a, a truly strange person in a genre which was about to be called alternative. Yeah. Now, figure that one out. I mean, they're still making fun of me. I'm 55 years old and I got two little kids and I run a wrestling company called the NWA, but somehow I'm still a weirdo. They figure that one out. You know what I mean? So, um, so for me to become myself, to, uh, sort of wrap myself around whoever I was and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go with this guy who the guy, the guy who wants to sing a song like disarm or today or geek USA or chair Brock. And I'm going to let that guy speak and sort of run the show here. Um, that was a huge, huge moment in life, changed my life because I was able to have the courage to do it. And it did take courage because, um, you know, the other option uh, would have been easier. So today really is sort of me sort of saying, you know, Hey, today's a great day because yeah. I didn't jump off a roof, you know? Absolutely. Well, I made the right decision and you know, the world's better I, I for I like it. to think so. No, he absolutely <laughs> life did. Is, life, I always tell, I always tell friends who are going through tough times. It's, I know it's hard when you're standing in that spot and life seems really, really difficult, but if you can get past it, life does get better and life does get sweeter. I'm, I'm living testament to that. Oh, you've touched millions of lives, including mine. And I really thank you for, you know, such a personal chat, essentially letting me into your home. It's, it's really nice of you, man. Cause I've been such a fan for so oh, many no years. Problem. So it's, it's just incredible to, to be talking with you. And if you want to swing by the studios, when you come to Sydney, you're more than welcome. We'll roll out the well, welcome mat. We can have a longer chat if you like. Let's, let's do that. I'll, I'll come by with some NWA wrestlers. Perfect. I'd love that. Uh, Billy Corgan, thank you so much for your time. An absolute pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Talk soon.